Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And we are back with something a little bit different today, Privates. We are talking all about neurodiversity in relationships. Yeah, and if you're not sure what that is, you're not alone. Everyone, including (laughs) the people that we have guesting on this podcast episode, are still learning about it. So that's, I think, what's so good about this. We are starting to put the name to some of the things we've been seeing, and I think it's helping people have better relationships. Yeah, you know, I think we've gone through such a dramatic shift in our understanding of neurodiversity and what it means to be on the autism spectrum and all of those things, and it's become just a little bit of a cultural conversation, and I feel like it's such an important one and we wanted to bring this to the podcast and further that. So I'm really excited about today's guests. We have Sarah Langdon and Natalie Roberts. They are from the membership program Loving Difference, which endeavors to kind of navigate and, you know, deal with neurodiversity in a very loving way within relationships. And yeah, I'm super stoked to have this conversation on the show. I think it's going to open up a lot of eyes and I think we learned so much just listening and I think a lot of people might not realize that that's the kind of relationship they're in until they mm-hmm. start reading and listening a little bit about it and that's why I think I'm really excited to bring this episode to the privates. Yeah, totally. I have a couple friends recently that have gone through this process of discovering that one of them is on the autism spectrum or has some other sort of neurodiversity and it has totally been a journey for their relationship. I mean, that's part of the understanding shift. Having a partner that's on the spectrum or being on the spectrum, like it's not a death sentence to the way that you live your life or the way that you operate in your relationships. It just requires, you know, some extra navigating and understanding. And just the way people are starting to come around on not blaming people for Mm -hmm. depression and bipolar disorder and stuff like that. Not that we're all the way there by any means. I think people are starting to be more understanding about autism as well and more understanding about things like OCD and just various other things that might have before been written off as things that you can't live with or you can't live with a partner that deals with that. So I think a lot of understanding goes a long way to people having happier lives together. Yay, empathy. (laughs) So (laughs) here we go. (laughs) 
ladies, we are so excited to talk to you today. This is a topic that we have been wanting to cover on the show, I feel like, for quite a while now. Amazing. Yeah. And before we started rolling, you let me in on a little, like, you guys are related? What's the scoop? How do you know each other? So uh, we've known each other for about 20 or so years because Sarah is married to my brother. (gasps) Oh! So Sarah is my sister-in-law. It's a whole family affair. I love it. Yeah, it's a family affair. (laughs) So yeah, let's get into, you guys both work for, or are coaches for Loving Difference. Yes. And tell us a little bit about what that is and your role in that organization. Sure. So Loving Difference is a community and coaching group, which Natalie and I founded with two other coaches last year with the goal in mind to bring together um, individuals who are in neurodiverse relationships. Either one member identifies as um autistic, ADHD, there's a whole slew of different labels that fall under the neurodiversity umbrella, if you want to call it that. And also partners who maybe don't identify or have any of those labels. So how do we learn to communicate, be together, be in relationship with one another in a way that's really deep and meaningful and connected? I love it. I was so excited to read about that because, I mean, my husband is so normal. It's like sickening. Um, (laughs) And I've been, you know, struggling with like bipolar 2 and ADD and all of this stuff for a long time and depression. And I've been on so many different drugs and therapist and psychiatrist combinations. And it is like very hard to explain how it feels to somebody who has no idea. And they're like, what do you mean? I like always make fun of him. I'm like, he's literally only sad when there's like a reason to be sad. (laughs) what is that like (laughs) yeah yeah exactly thank you (laughs) so do you ladies have are you in relationships that are neurodiverse and has your personal experience informed this Mm. professional company basically that you founded yeah and then we'll get into a little bit more because I do want to unpack for people like how do you identify it how do you try to cope and thrive amidst all of that. But let's start with your personal experience. So all four coaches in Loving Difference are in neurodiverse relationships. So that's the first thing is that we all have lived experience of that. Lots of people seek support for their neurodiverse relationship with all kinds of therapists, all kinds of professionals, but generally they don't have lived experience of it. So, you know, I think that can take you so far, but um, there's something different when you're coached by or you work with somebody who actually is living in it, actually is thriving in it, has found ways to make it work, has recovered themselves from the depths of stuff in it. Um, So it's a huge thing for us that actually all four of us are in neurodiverse relationships. We all have our own journeys and stories about that, which are all slightly different. We're parenting neurodivergent young people as well. So we have stories around that. We've all have and still are journeying ourselves with our own language we use for ourselves. So if I just maybe just talk about my journey with that. Mm -hmm. So about seven years ago, my husband discovered he's autistic 
he's never had a formal diagnosis, but it made sense to him when it was mentioned by a professional he was seeing at the time. And so by virtue of that discovery, I then put myself in the kind of opposite box of neurotypical. And so then began that journey, which I'm sure we'll unpack some more as we keep talking, um, which kind of then brought us to Loving Difference ultimately. But then more recently, I've been wondering myself about some aspects of myself and allowing myself to be curious about that and being just open to that. I haven't kind of landed anywhere with that yet, particularly, but I'm less comfortable with only saying neurotypical because I, that's, I'm still kind of unpacking some of that with myself. So I think it's a journey people, it's helpful to just know it, there are no fixed points and it's about choosing and learning about whatever words are helpful for you to learn more about yourself, your identity, be more you is what we really are passionate about in Loving Difference. Yeah. Sarah, do you want to share a bit about yours? Sure. So on a visit to England back in, I don't know, 2015 or 2016, Natalie said, um, you know, we had learned about Pete and we were talking about Pete and she said, I see a lot of um, similarities in my brother. And then Steve and I started learning more about autism. And my son was also in the process of um, undergoing a diagnosis in the school system. So the more we were learning about it, the more I was like, this is really familiar. And Mm -hmm. I think I might have ADHD. Like the more that I learned about it and the more that I read about it. And also so many of my friends are ADHD. And it was kind of like, oh, right. We kind of all end up together somehow, us crazy busy people. I think people used to like the umbrella is actually so big. It is probably more likely that you fall under some sort of like neurodiversity somewhere along Mm -hmm. the line. And I think that thinking has evolved a lot recently, right? We used to just think like you were quote unquote normal unless something was like seriously wrong and wrong is quote unquote too, because it's not like right or wrong, but do you know what I mean? Like, I I feel like there was such binary thinking on that before. And it's so interesting that you both are going through these personal experiences where you're like, I don't know, am I also too? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And in the past, I think in the not such far past even, and still is kind of in the mainstream, I would say, still described as, and the language is still very much around pathology and disorders and deficits and mm-hmm. all of that kind of language. So in the very beginning, that was what we started swimming in. It's what most people kind of arrive into. So it was somebody, my husband has something. It's mainly these things that are all wrong. And mm-hmm. I was like, great, now we have the answers to why our relationship has not been working. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all like over there and you're this and all that and I it's just so unhelpful really and now there's just a much broader inclusion of so many more things and you know we're traveling with multiple words and I mean Pete I mean he's got a lot of letters after his name for other reasons but actually you could put a very long line of different things if you wanted to just do lots of labels you know Uh but actually now it's more about how we know more about who we are and what different flavors we have and what our strengths are. And we kind of, I talk about living beyond labels now in terms of how they're generally used. They're there, but they're not really how we define each other or how 
how we talk about it all anymore. You know, it's everybody in our house uses them all slightly differently depending on what feels best for them. I also wanted to add that um, one interesting thing I think that's happened, uh, you know, within the last 10 years as social media has become a tool for people to learn a lot about themselves and a lot of like people who have very specific TikToks or Instagrams that are like, well, here's like me as an autistic person. These are things that like help me. Here's how I found out or whatever. And I, a lot of times will see like infographics that get reposted on Instagram that I save because I'm like, holy shit, I didn't even know until someone put it in these ways. I'm like, oh my God, like this speaks so heavily to my experience. Yeah. And it's also helpful to see for people that, oh, it's not something that is debilitatingly, you're doomed now. So it's nice to see people who are like summing it up in a way where it's like, this is what's worked for me. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, try it. So I feel like a lot of times that has given me more understanding than even my own therapists. Yeah. Because it's so many more people communicating what works for them and it's kind of more updated. So I think like you guys are hitting on something that's really important and that we're all constantly learning about these things that we've vaguely had ideas about ourselves, but didn't really know. Yeah. So I think social media has really helped because it evolves more quickly, whereas the textbooks, the books, the professional training, all of those mm -hmm. kinds of things actually are still kind of stuck somewhere and don't get updated and they're still on the shelf. And the diagnosis process and all that is still there. And social media and community and all that is really moved, hasn't it, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, there's there's also a process of unlearning. You know, we have all of these these ways of being, these ideas, this program that we're running in our culture around social expectations, interactions that don't really suit, uh, they certainly don't suit everyone. Um, <laughs> I think about sort of when we when I was going through the diagnosis process with my son and they would say things around, you know, how it's not okay to line line up objects or repeat sounds over and over. And, you know, such a big part of my journey was just like, well, who said that? Like who decided mm -hmm. that it wasn't okay to line things up? When I go out in the woods and I make art, like I can't wait to line up those sticks in a row and put them in places. And, you know, my son's making noise. It's just sounds over and over. And I, why, who says that's bad? Tell us about that unlearning process, because it sounds like recent, you know, if like the textbooks aren't even up to date and it feels in media really recent. I mean, like expecting Amy with Amy Schumer, like being just really open about her husband's diagnosis and things like that, I feel like are moving the needle. But even my understanding, I can feel my understanding evolve over the last few years. So what does it feel like from a personal point of view and also your professional point of view as this like dramatic shift is happening? I mean, it was like a bomb went off in my life. So the only way I can describe it, it was like a, a massive shock. My automatic response to any of these things is, right, great. Now we know, let's read about that and we'll be fine. <laughs> so I just read, read and read and read the biggest textbook you could find, read the first chapter and it never came back off the shelf. I read and read and read and read some more and it didn't solve anything is what was really, it just gave me more and more information. It didn't, um, it didn't help 
us resolve the challenges that we still had then as a couple and as a family. So I got very lost then because I'm the mender and the fixer and well, give me a problem and let's find the solution. And I wasn't finding one in these these things. And I'd also learned about something called Cassandra syndrome or ongoing trauma relationship syndrome, which is there's not a lot talked about with that, but it's it's floating around out there. But discovering that was really helpful to me because it was a way of um, helping me to understand as a non-autistic partner the impact that being in a relationship with somebody who's autistic and not knowing that had had on me. So it's a it's a reactive disorder with symptoms like a sort of very gradual deterioration of all aspects of your well-being, becoming very socially isolated, taking on the traits of your autistic partner. So I became quite autistic because that's kind of how I tried to make a relationship work. I lost a lot of my confidence. Yeah, so I really realised I wasn't okay. And I had had no idea that that is what had been happening over 15 years of being married and not knowing that we were this different, like not a little bit different, like, yeah, really, really different, poles apart, really. And Pete had been trying his best to again, doing his best to fit into the world, into life, and is was so good at it, you wouldn't even know mm-hmm. on the outside. So that was huge. But what I realised beyond that was that pretty much all the rules and programme and ideas I had about how life works, relationships work, I work, were unhelpful. Basically, I had I talk about getting into a territory with no map. Mm-hmm. I, I now had no map. I had no way of how does this work. Uh, and you just felt, I just felt completely lost, basically, and was starting from scratch. Can I ask a follow-up question about Cassandra syndrome? Yeah. Is it the sort of thing where if someone had pointed it out to you, you would have been resistant mm-hmm. to accepting that? And it took you looking into it to be like, wait a minute. Yeah, there was some clues. There was definitely some clues looking back where there were some things I was doing that when I talked to people outside of the relationship, they would be saying, that's a bit odd. Like, why are you doing that? Yeah, and I, I definitely made a lot of choices over a long time to try to make somebody happy who I felt like wasn't really happy. And actually the reality is Pete was living his life in a constantly anxious state. And we didn't really know. He'd lived that his whole life, so he didn't know either. And so we were all swimming around in that. And I was very anxious and I wasn't labelling it that either. I had no, just had no idea. I was walking on eggshells every single day. Lots of words get banded around about it's abusive, it's very controlling, um, and lots of Facebook groups. This is the kind of things that start swimming around. I was just going to say that. I was going to be like, it sounds like the same like side effects or whatever of being in an abusive relationship. Yeah. So what I started to unravel, and this is sort of the unlearning, but for me, it's just a massive unraveling. Well, not everybody in a neurodiverse relationship as the neurotypical partner or non-autistic partner, should I say, does have these symptoms. It doesn't affect everybody like that. So that made me curious to think, how come that's what I did, you know? Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wasn't with somebody who was abused. I just knew that. I knew that wasn't what's going on. 
So I just got very curious about what have I been doing maybe or what else is going on here? But what I started to understand was that the environment I was in was not abusive, but the impact is the same. So the intent of abuse isn't there or the, does that make sense? So it's, mm-hmm. that's not what it is, but the impact to me was the same. And I was also behaving and doing some of the kinds of behaviors that people do, like people pleasing, not having your opinion, not having a voice. So it meant the impact on me was the same. So I had to recover myself in my relationship. I didn't leave. I recovered myself back to being me in my relationship. And then we worked beyond that on the relationship. It seems almost like an extreme level of empathy where like you're trying to bridge the difference between you and your partner. Yeah. So it manifests in these ways that from the outside might appear the same as abuse, but are not and are motivated by both partners trying to connect. And I'm sure it caused him a lot of anxiety to not be making you happy and vice versa. And both of you were kind of stuck in that like little feedback loop. You just have no idea that that's how different you are because Pete was masking everything. You didn't know. And also on the outside, it doesn't look like that because on the outside, Pete was a different version of himself. So it's very different for the person who's having the intimate romantic relationship with this person. It's very different than if you're a work colleague or a friend or something. That's not the version of Pete that I was seeing. I was seeing the person at the end of the day who has zero energy left at all, who one week a month is in shutdown because his his anxiety has tipped him over or he's exhausted or something else has happened. I didn't know, we didn't know any of this for 15 years. You just think you're the same. I often say, I thought that we were the same plants from the same section of the garden center. That's who I thought I'd married. And it turns out that we are not the same plants from the same section of the garden center. We actually thrive in completely different environments. We see the world and perceive it and relate to it completely differently. And so no wonder we had a bit of trouble trying to have a relationship, to be honest, for that long. It's not really surprising. It was difficult. Hey, Volvo owners, do you want stronger orgasms? Hell yeah! That's what I like to hear. Guess what? It is scientifically proven that a stronger pelvic floor can lead to stronger orgasms. Intensity by Pour Moi gives you that strength. Mmm, Intensity by Pour Moi is an intimate health and stimulation device. A lot of people might be tempted to call it a vibrator, but it's actually much, much more than that. Everybody loves to talk about the effects of vibration, that OMG moment, but what makes Intensity special is how it tightens and tones your pelvic floor muscles. Most people know that Kegels are important, but Intensity does them better by automatically exercising the muscles of the pelvic floor for you. And not only will Intensity teach you how a properly performed Kegel feels, it also has a vibrating component for your pleasure. Intensity lets you balance feeling good with working hard. And right now, Pour Moi is offering our listeners an additional 25 bucks off Intensity when you go to pourmoi.com and enter code PRIVATE at checkout. You can use this code along with any code on their website. Ooh, I love that combo deal. That's $25 off on top of all ongoing promotions when you go to P-O-U-R-M-O-I dot com and use promo code private. 
Pormois.com code private. Pormois is French! Sarah, what was your discovery process like? Did you have the same kind of Cassandra? You recognized that too, didn't you? I did. I did recognize some of that. It was some things that were different from our side, but Mm. my partner and I are both really creative people. So we have, we have a lot of like very, a lot of shared interests. So we've always kind of been in the same vibing in the same way creatively and that's always been really fulfilling but I was definitely dealing with a lot of people pleasing we had um, moved from the city to suburbia and we had put our kids in regular public school and I was sort of like full steam ahead going to live this sort of like normal suburban life and I like filled myself with responsibilities PTA meetings events in town everything that you could do and I just worked out that it wasn't fulfilling me. And I really had a crash and burn. I ended up getting shingles. I also ended up having a lot of disagreement with the my young people's school system. Um, very little support. You know, a lot of schools today only offer like 15 minutes of recess and most of us need to move more than that in a day. And so we were. Com- I was coming to head with sort of all of these things in the system that I just was like, this doesn't line up for me at all. And this isn't going to work for me. And... As I looked looked ahead into the future, I was like, this isn't the life that that we want. Ultimately, like, do I want to be pushing my kids through 12 years of school with stress and anxiety that we're already seeing in second grade and kindergarten? Mm-hmm. Not really. So we ended up making a huge move. We moved back to the city uh, to homeschool our young people and ended up falling into a really incredible community of other creatives and fun people like us. And... Our kids are really happy and I'm not living the busyness that I was living. And I did have a health crisis to go alongside that, which was shingles. And that that also really slowed me down and made me rediscover myself because I had been just moving full steam ahead for a really, really long time. I think we both exhausted. That is definitely one of the things you just end up at a point where you're burnt out, completely exhausted on every level, physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, just completely on the on your knees and in discovering ADHD you know before that I didn't really know why it was hard for me to stay like focused or paying attention I didn't really know why like I wanted to move so much or needed to just be outside or you know I I just had no idea I kind of just thought it was just something that I don't know other people didn't didn't seem to be bothered about but I was Yeah, there's an opposite side that goes with ADHD that nobody talks about, which is creative flow and hyper focus. And when you're in this state of flow, and I had really never let myself get into that state because I had stayed busy and and occupied for so long. So when I had this sort of break away from everything, it was like just rediscovering who I was. I don't know. I discovered fashion and listened to more music and just, I don't know, I just got more into who Sarah was. And that was really cool. Yeah, I love that it seems like your response has not been like, okay, let's try to fix it or put it in the normal box or whatever. But it's like, okay, how can we now nudge the system mm-hmm. to, you know, like regular school is not going to work. Okay, what can work instead? Regular relationship isn't going to work. <laughs> nope. It it activated my inner rebel. Like I was like, okay, these systems are totally fucked. Like this is, it can't be working for everyone. (laughs) 
I was such a compli like I was little miss compliant and I became this like non-compliant radical like heretical person that I was like who is this woman (laughs) it was liberating in the end I mean and now I just feel I would never imagine I would have said this six years ago and I can remember saying Pete I'm actually really thankful to you for being this different because I just think I'd have gone on if we'd only be like this different we'd have just like rubbed each other up the wrong way a bit and I'd never have I'd never unraveled this stuff I'd never have really known who I was and stripped away all this program and shoulds and oh it's just brilliant just to take off all these coats and just be you it's just amazing yeah it seems like you ladies have really fallen in love with yourselves through like (laughs) all of this definitely So do you think it is, because I feel like I know now a number of people who are in neurodiverse relationships, and I don't think that I knew of any maybe like five or 10 years ago. And so do you think, is it that our understanding is growing or is it more common? Well, I think it's always been there. I think there's a there's a number of theories, you know, there's various books you can read, like Neurochives by Stephen Silverman, I think is was one of the first books I read. And they talk about the whole tech world that is clearly driven a lot of that whole thing was driven by the neurodivergent community you know there's this theory that in the past people that were this different they wouldn't necessarily have been the people that were that attractive when it came to relationships or those kinds of things they're really more the loners or more the you know and I'm probably thinking more stereotypical men here but you know there's that kind of notion and then suddenly they became very attractive because they're creating all this amazing tech they're earning lots of money and it's like suddenly women are like this is great um but they're not necessarily the easiest people to then be in relationship with but um I think the other thing is that in all of the or anybody who is different has had to fit in I think there has been this idea that you grow out of these things so so they're seen in children and they do their best in school to try and intervene and fix or do all sorts of things that in loving difference we really are not good with and then you you have to fit into your boxes by the time you get into your teens Mm -hmm. and you push yourself through the school system and usually have other disorders maybe that are getting diagnosed mental health things all that so it's all often hiding under lots of other things other illnesses even because they're so good at learning to be neurotypical learning to to fit in with the dominant culture and the dominant way of being you know Sarah that's what you've kind of just described and I'm starting to discover maybe in myself areas where I've been doing something similar and how women and girls do it can look quite different to Mm -hmm. boys a lot of the research the books have always been very male oriented so a lot of that has been very hidden for women so lots are diagnosed with eating disorders, mental health disorders, before anybody even wonders about their neurodivergence or their their identity fundamentally. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Like what are some signs in men and then how does that differ from how it presents in women? So I am so I, I I'm gonna be wary of what territory I, I would say I'm 
professional in and what I'm not. So I'm not an, uh, an assessment person or a diagnostics person or anything like that. So I think that there are sort of stereotypes, but I don't know that they're particularly helpful. And um, you'll have women that fit into the more men type categories. I have that in my house. And then you'll have men that fit also fit into the women types. I mean, it's so much bigger than what you read or see on anything, really. It's like... How do you know when it's happening in your relationship? Like, what are some of the... Okay, well, wait, let's see. How do we know? How do we know what's going on? I know that for in our in our unit, social social engagements were always um, a time of stress. So um, just social anxiety. We didn't know we didn't have a label for it back then. I you know we had no idea why. Like when we when we would go to a social engagement, the, the typical thing is like I kind of put on my little mask and I'm like, all right, I'm the butterfly here, and I just flutter around and I see everybody, and it's a whole. I love it. I like to socialize. My partner does not like to socialize at all, and for him, it was just hell on earth, and we had no idea. We had no um, way of communicating discomfort in a social situation, and yeah, it would just be awkward for him. Conversation, noise, a lot of the stuff that affects us is sensory based, so. Being in a room with lots of people talking, if you have trouble focusing or hearing when there's external stimuli, external noise around, then that can make social interaction really, really tough. Going out to restaurants, dining with music playing, people talking, waiters, waitresses running around. Also lighting, like window light in front of, you know, lighting can be, can be very light sensitive, temperature sensitive. That's something that we don't always talk about, but like the sensory stuff, how are you feeling in your body? Because that's really what's informing what's going on in your brain. Yeah, that all came a lot later for us. And again, I think Pete just thought it was what everybody else was experiencing. That's mm -hmm. what we realized is everything as we, you know, as I kind of got myself more well and had capacity to be curious, because up to that point, I was just resentful and pissed off for 15 years of crap. <laughs> and so... Beyond that, though, there I could begin to be curious and we just started uncovering like what's what's really been going. I remember one time it was really actually around the time Pete found out, I think, and he, he even his the professional he'd been seeing had been seeing him for a year. And the only reason she wondered about this was because he didn't respond well to her changing his appointment by 10 minutes. That was the only clue she had in a year. Wow. That's how well he could camouflage everything. It was just not nothing obvious. I mean, it's all really obvious now, but it just wasn't obvious. I think for us, it was, for me, it was more about presence and engagement in our family. Pete just, for me, felt very disengaged, was very caught up in his passions and interests and didn't really have time for us. He didn't really seem to know how to engage with that and certainly emotionally, I kind of shut off my emotions in the end for about 10 years, really. I didn't cry for 10 years. I didn't feel like I could bring that into the relationship. I would have said there's no empathy. That's one of the things you hear a lot. There's no empathy. I, I don't agree with that now because I understand better what's going on. But those kinds of things, the social stuff, it just never worked. Um, spending any time together as a family, we had it just always went wrong. Going away on holiday was a nightmare, but we could never really explain it. He never seemed to be happy either. Like my kind of happy like this, 
<laughs> this is me turned right on, like, Whoa! this is a bit, this is a bit sparkly for me. <laughs> like, um, but he fell in love with this. He always says, I fell in love with you. You're so, you fill my gaps, he says, you know. So it's such a shame, really, that then over 15 years, we kind of both bent ourselves even further out of shape to try to fit into a relationship that was never really going to work in the normal way because that's not who we are. Yeah, it seems like almost though it can seem like some sort of other relationship problem, like a communication issue or like not making time for each other or whatever, but it's is it just like if there's some magnified issue like that and you can't put your finger on why you can't get it sorted out? You go round and round in a loop. And that's what I hear from everybody who comes to me to work with me as a coach is I'm just on this hamster wheel. We go round for for a while, it's good. And then something happens or the same stuff comes around and then it's really bad for a while. And then we seem to be okay for a while. And they're just going round and round in this loop. And then usually they'll hear maybe a radio show or... Mm. They'll read an a article podcast, or a magazine <laughs> or it's these kinds of things or listen to this podcast and they go, oh, that sounds a bit like my relationship. <laughs> we went through all sorts of things over 15 years wondering, well, or certainly I was, is it this? Is it this? Is it OCD? Is it hoarding? Like, what's going on? I was completely flummoxed and I didn't, didn't even think about this. I didn't think this would be it. What Sarah touched on and what you touched on is when someone has like these particular responses to like different stimuli, I think we used to call and probably a lot of people still do when someone does that kind of thing, you're like, they're so picky. They're so difficult, especially when they're younger and they start manifesting those behaviors. Like, you know, you we all knew those kids or maybe were those kids who like, oh, they don't like to wear jeans because they don't mm-hmm. like the way it feels on their legs. And you'd hear that and you'd be like, God, that little kid is so weird or whatever. Instead of all of us understanding that like, hey, this is actually a clue to let you know how to make that person more comfortable. And instead of us thinking of it like that, it's the way we used to try to break people who are left-handed. It's like, for what? For yeah. what? Can they write? What are you doing? Yeah, or somebody who needs to wear glasses, telling them they're not allowed to wear their glasses. That's another of the comparable thing that I think is really helpful. You wouldn't do that to somebody who needs to wear glasses. Yeah, or someone who's like, oh, I need my inhaler. You'd be like, you're being really a lot right now. (laughs) So it's just like nice to hear that kind of connection be made to hear from you guys being like, oh, this is what it looks like when you're not understanding what's happening and how you might respond in a way that doesn't make it better. And then what the difference is when you're like starting to finally kind of put clues together that can explain to you what that person might be feeling to say things like, oh, I don't want to be here or this doesn't feel good. And then you can kind of process that in the context instead of just judging them and being like, this isn't what I need. So they're a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you don't grow out of it. I think this is the other thing. So these things continue like Pete hates socks. He has to make himself wear them to work, but <laughs> yeah. he's never going to like socks, you know, or... um. <laughs> I don't know. So doesn't even like me wearing socks. He has to put up with that. But you know, it's like, it's crazy. It's kind of it does all sound a bit 
I'm going to say crazy, but because it kind of does to other people, it all sounds a bit bizarre, but it's sometimes lots and lots of little things. That's the other thing. When you're living with it all the time, it's not just one thing or maybe the one thing your colleague does at work that's a bit different. When you're living in it and you have four people in your house or more people, that's four different people's stuff all the time, every day. Hey, Sophia, have you met your G spot? Um, is it between the F spot and the H spot? I don't know if those are medically correct terms, but yes, it's that <laughs> mysterious little area that is said to hold the secret to toe curling orgasms and hey, even squirting. And hot tip, oh my G, is my current favorite internal sex toy that will introduce you to this special part of you. Yes, I love the Oh My G. It is so stealthy, it's super silent, and it is the best internal G-spot massager for bodies with a vagina. Right? That unique massaging pearl mimics the come hither motion. It moves up and down to stimulate a tongue perfectly lapping away. It's the exact same motion if you're using your fingers to hit the spot, only a lot less work and 10 times better. You know what I always say, Cokes? Come harder and smarter. Yeah, you have to. The Oh My G is so quiet that you can literally do it next to your husband who may be asleep because he had a really long day at work, but you are really awake and could really use some G-spot attention. Story of my life. Yeah, and it has three intensity levels, allowing you to choose the intensity of your orgasm. And even on its highest setting, it's quiet. And it is so easy to control. Most toys have a traditional curve, but the Oh My G has a sleek C shape, which makes it really easy to directly and precisely massage your G spot. Plus, you can store Oh My G without worrying that someone will find it. It comes with a little cloth pouch and it's shipped in discreet exterior packaging. Plus, the Oh My G is made with 100% body-safe, FDA-approved silicone. It's a must-have for any toy collection, especially if you enjoy internal stimulation. And a fun bonus, it can also function as a wonderful external clit stimulator. Ooh, gotta love that two-for-one. Yeah, I vouch for that. Really works for that. <laughs> <laughs> And right now, Oh My G is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 30% off when you go to iobatoys.com and enter code PRIVATE at checkout. That's iobatoys.com and use promo code PRIVATE to get 30% off your Oh My G. That offer is also included in our episode description. iobatoys.com, code PRIVATE. Shh, I'm coming. <laughs> So how do you get off the hamster wheel of just going around in these cycles and not being able to break out and driving each other nuts? Well, there's a amount of compassion that's required here. We have to open our hearts to each other. It's, it really is that simple. We just have to understand that there's a level of self-awareness here that is being developed in each individual, in my household, but across, everywhere. You know, we're all discovering our identity and that's really maybe going to be the theme of the 20s when we all learned who we who we are. Yeah. And, and how do we do that? In our family, it's really just, it's been a lot about communication, understanding how we communicate and how we, how we understand each other best. 
For me, I process sometimes by talking out loud, which is not helpful for someone who needs to just hear what it is that you have to say and then they want to listen. Also, like, like I didn't really know how much I was distracted by external stimuli before. And now that I know that, I know that I can, I really need to have a deep conversation somewhere that's a little quiet. And knowing that my partner needs me not to ask him something important five minutes before he's going to walk out the door was also helpful. So, you know, we learned, we, we learned our own ways of when was a good time to talk about such and such and when wasn't. And that, that wasn't even, we never had a conversation about how we were going to communicate. Who's communicating about how they're going to communicate? No one. <laughs> so, the, you know, the, that is just sort of even just like the first thing that was just really helpful. And so do you guys coach both mem- or multiple members of a relationship on like how to figure these things out amongst themselves? So so I have a private coaching practice and I coach individuals and couples where one or both partners are neurodivergent so that they can turn their problematic relationships back into precious ones. So they can revert, you know, certainly for the non-autistic partner, they can reverse the impact of Cassandra syndrome if they recognize that. So they get back to being themselves that they've kind of just literally forgotten they just come to me and say I don't know who I am anymore Mm -hmm. and then I think that gives us a level of awareness by that point that we actually can then start to bring into the relationship I certainly felt like if I'm making choices and decisions now not to be anybody other than myself in the relationship then I actually don't want you to have to be anybody other than who you truly are in the relationship and that's that was huge because that was me saying okay, you're actually pretty much a hermit. <laughs> you you would prefer really not to see or talk to really anybody very much. And that isn't who I am and how my life is. So it's do we want to and how do you relate when that's how different you are? Realising that pretty much everything we see at 180 degrees to each other. And I've realised that relationship can still have great foundations from that it's not actually as required as we might have thought and then I started realizing how I was showing up in the relationship there was a lot of codependence no boundaries lots of those very small standard relationship things so I often say I'm a relationship coach and I understand all of those usual relationships all of that stuff's going on just the same there's just another layer of neurodiversity as well that you are you put over the top that is creating another level of challenge for you. So I work with individuals and couples. And then last year had the idea of something of loving difference, wasn't called that then, but of something because lockdown, COVID arrived. And I just felt like this was going to be, I knew it was going to be hard for me. And I knew what, I knew how to make this work. And I knew I was going to really struggle. So if anybody who hasn't figured any of this out yet, I just knew that issues that they already had, this hamster wheel was going to get bigger, more magnified, and the impact of it all was going to be huge. And I wanted to I wanted to find a way that people could find the help they needed, really. So I called Sarah and two other friends, and Loving Difference was born that day. <laughs> awesome. So do you guys have any parting... Sarah, I would love like any tips for people trying to bust out of the box, basically, or these norms that, you know, are prescribed to us through our society. Deepen your understanding of yourself, self-awareness, 
understand, learn how you communicate, focus as much as you can on communication, developing good communication. I teach compassionate communication and loving difference. It's a weekly practice group that gets together and, um, we talk about ways to utilize nonviolent communication uh, to deepen our understanding of each other and be compassionate to ourselves for our own feelings, but also for, for the ones that we love. It's really cool that you guys started this and this exists because it is filling a huge gap in our understanding and our relationships. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for this fantastic podcast. Yeah, there's lots of places where the, the everybody's in their own camps on this. That's what I think is so different. So you've got people who are not neurodivergent over here talking about it all and people that are neurodivergent over here talking mm-hmm. about their relationships. And we welcome everybody in so that we can learn together. And that is, that's unique as far as we know. We want to kind of be the bridge that kind of finds the way together to do that. And you can find us at lovingdifference.mn.co. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for bringing this conversation to our audience. And like we said at the beginning, it's it's a conversation we've really been wanting to have on the show. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. Thanks for having us. That was so great. I feel honestly like everyone, regardless of, you know, how neurodiverse your relationship is, could take a lot away from that interview. Totally. And I really hope that we can keep like furthering our own understanding of this and have people on uh, the podcast in the future to delve into this even further. Yeah, there's a great Netflix show actually about dating on the spectrum. And I would love to have someone from that show on the podcast. So we'll work on that, Privates. Totally. I know exactly the show you mean. I'm really excited about that too. (laughs) Trying to holler at someone from that show. What's up? Love on the spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) We would love to talk to you. That's right. And you guys, we are really excited because Soph and I are getting ready to take our first international trip since Tokyo in freaking February of 2020. So it has been like fully almost a year and a half and your girls are getting their suitcases packed and we are going to Belize, baby. So make sure you are following us on Instagram at private parts unknown and on Twitter at private parts on. We are going to take you along on the journey and then check back in because we're going to have some amazing podcast episodes for you. Yeah, we're going to have some really great interviews that teach us about love, sex, gender and all of that in Belize. So stay tuned. Hey, Sophia, what's that bomb ass music? This music is by our friend Amy Rosh. You can check her out on Spotify. Her last name spelled R-A-A-S-C-H. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. This is the point when you turn off the podcast. Shambles, dude. Shambles. We apologize, but not as much as this reviewer should apologize because now it's time for the review of the week. You guys, we're going to read two reviews for you because, you know, someone really shat on the podcast and we need you guys to make up for it. We got a one-star review 
They said the epitome of privilege, ridiculous. Also, I just want to point out that their handle was likes pubs. Sophia, what do you think that means? <laughs> okay, I was like, did they misspell pubes? Or <laughs> do they enjoy major publications such as the Washington Post, the New York Times? Or and have then, they been hanging out at the bar too much? And that's why they have no idea what they're talking about. So listen. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's my little pitch. Okay. Um, this show is fucking free. Okay. If you listen to something you didn't like, just keep it pushing. What's your fucking problem? Turn I would never, off. I would never give a one star review to some free shit. Okay. It was fucking free. Go listen to something you like more, okay? It doesn't matter. But you're literally hurting our star rating in terms of helping people find us. And that I will not abide, okay? Likes pubs. I will fucking make you eat your <laughs> fucking pubs. And by that, I mean pubes, you fucking non-speller dickhole. I am gonna yes and Sophia's fucking rant about this asshole likes pubs because you guys, we are not a network show. We make this podcast independently with our own blood, sweat, and tears and a lot of freaking time. You think I don't pour every ounce of my cum that I can into this <laughs> podcast? Likes pubes? Huh? Is that what you fucking think? This is a glorious glory hole and you will not shit on it. <laughs> Again, okay, if I'm watching television and some bullshit comes on, I change the station. Mm -hmm. I don't write an angry letter to fucking, I don't know, what's a shitty fucking TV show? I didn't write Chuck Lorre about the fucking Big Bang Theory. What are we doing? Just keep it pushing. Listen to another fucking podcast. Joe Rogan would love to have you. Listen, privates, we need you because now we have to come back from this shitty one-star review. But listen, let's end on a positive note because that's what we're trying to spread on this show and we can't let likes pubes get us down, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> listen, pube lover, we're going to read you a review that is awesome and what you should be like, but you're not. <laughs> this is actually very apropos because you were in the same mood last time. The, you inspired this upcoming review with your vibes. Same vibes, Sophia. <laughs> Sophia demanded this. Five stars. Episode 54. Sophia demanded the listeners write a review and compliment their titles, a.k.a. titties. <laughs> so here goes. Courtney and Sophia have the most taut, perky titles aka titties in all of podcasting and the show is really good too hey you know what you're no fucking likes pubes i'll tell you that it's toby lock i think i think we're saying that right to be lock i don't <laughs> you know what you rule we yeah we love you either way so thank you we'll call you whatever you want okay fucking big dick daddy fucking tiny vagina mommy whatever non-binary angel L literally we don't care because that review was fire we will rub these titles in your face we will give you so much love with these beautiful titles <laughs> my titles are a size f so congratulations <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys, I hope you can take all of that inspo and channel it into your five-star review 
Tell us how much you love the show. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash private. I think y'all don't want Sophia to have to yell at you again, okay? I'll fucking do it. I'll fucking do it. I'll rip your pubes out and I'll make you eat them. And listen, if you like Sophia yelling at you, that's okay too. Write a nice review and say you want more yelling. We can make it work for everybody. Just give us some love. We don't kink shame, okay? <laughs> all right, I'll you guys. I'll yell at you all day long, okay? <laughs> See you next time, Post Belize. Bye.